I want to talk to you about um, something that happened this summer. Um, Norma and I got to go to the Yukon, and we got to participate in my niece's wedding. Um, her name's Nicole, and uh, it was beautiful. She was stunning. She was glowing. It was just a fantastic day. But I can tell you firsthand, I was there. This day came with a lot of preparation and a lot of work, okay? So I can tell you because I spent many hours up there in the Yukon helping her prepare. Actually, Norm was really glad I was helping her prepare because he got to rest and unwind. And I got to do what I do. I worked a lot. It was great. It was so fun. I actually enjoyed my holiday immensely because I got to share that with her. And um, she doesn't have a mother. Her mother is not alive anymore. So I felt so honored that I could share in this part of just giving a little bit of myself. And also Grandma did that too. It was a, it was a wonderful time. And uh, I just want to talk to you a little bit about the first time I saw all the preparations. Because we got up there early and I looked around and I went, Wow. This girl's my blood. She is so prepared. I was so thrilled with her. And uh, uh, Norm's like, yeah, you're, I got that right. Anyway, I love being prepared, and I saw her. She was so prepared, and, and she, um, I was so impressed. And then she wasn't going to be caught off guard at all on her wedding day. So everything had to be in order. Everything was just, she had lists written out. That you're going to do this, and this person's going to do that. And it, it was just fantastic. And... Um, it was really good. Both her and her fiancé spent a lot of time getting ready for the wedding. And uh, they had a family homestead they did it on. And his parents, they grew like a beautiful, lush yard to get ready for this wedding. It was just stunning. And uh, it was just a fantastic day. But I didn't see countless preparations only for the wedding day. I looked at this couple and I saw the hard work that they're putting in for their life. And... Uh, She's got a really great job. She's worked hard to get where she is. He owns his own business. Um, and then I saw him, Alan, how hard he had worked to ensure he had a home prepared for her. And I thought, wow, this is such a picture that I'm enjoying seeing. He had readied everything he could to be um, preparing for their future. So I saw him, and I looked at him, and he was, like, in love with this girl. I was like, oh, okay, I'm at peace this man loves her. It was the first time I met him, too. Um, but literally, I'll tell you this, he would go to the ends of the, of the earth for her, and he literally did, to many places around the earth for this girl. So as I was reflecting on their wedding and everything I saw preparing for it, I was um, readying for my sermon, too. And I was reminded of, of Scripture in Revelation 19, verses 7 and 8. So if you have a Bible that you like to open, open it up there, or we will read it on the screen. And it says, Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So this scripture takes place in heaven. And it shows the anticipation that's mounting for that final union when, when, when Jesus is united with um, his bride, the church. And, and it shows what we have to look forward to as his people. And we're going to leave the world behind someday, and um, we will be united with Jesus in heaven. And we're not going to be subject to the pains of the world. And uh, for some of us, it's closer than others. Ross, 
I love you, and I know where your wife is because she loved Jesus. Okay? We don't comprehend that right now, but I want us to have revelation of his love for us. And uh, he is readying a place for us right now as I speak, and I'm excited about that. So we're in, as Norma said, we're in a series called Knowing God, and today, as part of the series, I'm going to preach on the son's pleasure in the church. And um, as I prepared this sermon, I really had to ask what that meant. What is the son's pleasure in the church? And this is what it boiled down to for me, okay? Jesus really, 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 really loves his people. That's pretty simple. In fact, he likens his relationship with the church to the most intimate relationship there is, the groom and his bride. And I asked myself, what's the big deal? Like, what's the big deal about Jesus being a bridegroom, our bridegroom? What's the big deal about him preparing a place for us? And, and why is it important for, for me, for us to know ourselves as the bride of Christ? Well, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of people say they're Christian because they grew up in a Christian home or because one time they said a sinner's prayer. And there, there's, there's some truth in that statement, but that doesn't have revelation of Christ's love in them. Christ's heart is that we understand the intimate relationship he calls us to, and he wants to know us. He doesn't want us to know about him. He wants us to know him. It's like my husband and I. This is the most intimate relationship on earth there is, my husband and I, mine. I, I mean, you can say that with your own spouse. But um, we have, my relationship with him is the most intimate relationship on earth I will ever have. And that's the type of relationship that Jesus is calling us to as his church. And um, so if we know Jesus, if he knows us, we live victoriously today because it's not a knowledge, it's a knowing in our spirit. And then we can excitedly anticipate eternity. So today I'm going to actually do something a little different. I'm going to use biblical text and I'm going to parallel it with, a, with Jesus and his bride. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna parallel the Jewish wedding with Jesus and his bride, and um, I'm gonna go through the stages of a Jewish wedding, and we're gonna see that those stages of a Jewish wedding, they give us a picture of Jesus' covenant relationship with us. I'm kind of excited, so I hope you get excited too, um, and, and keep smiling so that I know that you're um, cheering me on. Okay, so. Yay! Yeah, okay. So we see the son's pleasure in the church through first, the first part of the Jewish wedding ceremony was the marriage covenant. So in this marriage covenant, the groom's father, he paid for the bride and he established that marriage covenant. So the one thing that had to happen was the bride had to agree. Now, that was supposed to happen and it usually did happen, but the bride had to agree. And this happened between one and two years before the couple lived together. The interesting thing about this, were they living together yet at this point? No, but they were legally contracted together. This was now their covenant. It happened. 
right then at that point. Okay? Um, and then I thought that was so interesting that um, the, the, at that point they, they covenanted together. Now, there were parts of this covenant. There was the mohar, which was the dowry. Okay? This was the bride price. It was to be paid for the, from the groom's father to the bride's father. This was the price that had to be paid for their union. Um, she was worth something, and they had to give money for her. Um, and then there was another part of this um, this uh, covenant. It was the matan. And these were gifts that the groom gave to the bride to help her remember him when he was gone. And it also would remind her that he was coming back for him. He was coming back for her, sorry. And uh, I, I also found that just so incredible, those gifts that he gave for her to remember him by. So... As part of that marriage covenant, he also had to provide for the bride. He had to honor her. He had to support her. You know what else they would do at the end of this covenant? To seal the covenant and to make it permanent, they would drink wine together. So I can only do this with him. (laughs) And this would seal it. And then... At the end, he would leave. Let's think about Jesus' covenant. So God the Father paid the price for us, the bride. He established the marriage covenant. So like the Jewish bride, we have the option to accept God's offer. God has, Christ has come. He's offered covenant, and it's our responsibility to accept it. So the mohar in Jesus' covenant, the price, is that um, Jesus was sent to earth to die on the cross for us. I just think this is so exciting. Like We have a picture of what God says the intimate relationship he has with us is. And he's paid the price through Jesus. And uh, um, then he asks us to accept and there's scriptures to prove it. 1 John 3.16 says, this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Revelations 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for the sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. Jesus gives us matan, too. He gives, he gives us a gift. What's the gift he gives us? Holy Spirit. John fourteen twenty six. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. 1 John four thirteen says, By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us his Spirit. And then he talks about the gifts and the um, character and the ministry and the power we get through the Holy Spirit. And there's so many scriptures, and it's so elaborate that I could probably preach another three or four sermons on it, so I'm going to tell you the references. But we have a powerful Holy Spirit working on our behalf and in us to help us um, fulfill this covenant relationship we have with Jesus. So Galatians 5, if you want to look at that, that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, they talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit given for us. We can be excited because he's given us his Holy Spirit. So, 
As in the Jewish wedding, the groom promised to provide for his bride until they died. So God has done this through Jesus. This is our spiritual covenant. He's our provider, Jehovah Jireh. So I'm thinking about this Jewish wedding, and I think of the excitement of the groom as he goes to ask to enter into marriage covenant. He's planned for a future. He's committed to honor this woman, cherish, protect, and provide for her. He, he now knows he's entered into a permanent legal contract, covenant with her, and he's promised to come back. It's exciting that this is what Jesus did for us. He's done this for us. He's paid the price for his bride, his church. He's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we have him while we wait for Jesus' return. So he hasn't left us empty. We don't have to wonder how we're going to live out this covenant with him. Uh, The Holy Spirit teaches us. He's helping us prepare for Jesus' return. He's the one who confirms with our spirits that we belong to Jesus. And he's the one who gifts us with character and power to live it out. So, ooh, thank you. Who did that? It's exciting. We don't have to live this on our own and thinking, I don't know how to do this. So I actually, as I was pondering this, I realized I had that moment where I understood what covenant with Jesus meant. I had that when I was a teenager. I, you look at me and you're like, wow, she's a pastor's wife. She must have it all together. Well, I, I kind of do. Not all the way. But as a kid, I loved Jesus. I was such a committed Christian kid. Okay? I, I, I could tell anybody about Jesus. I was just excited about him. And, but but I, I had a few years in my early teen years where I got a little bit enticed away to live more worldly than godly. We'll just say it that way. Okay? Um, but as the groom comes for the, the, the bride, Jesus came for me. And it was in an instant. It was, it was amazing. So I had spent a few years um, being dumb. And um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm trying not to elaborate too much. But I had friends who loved God. And I had friends who were praying for me. I had parents who were praying for me. And um, God was not going to let me go far. So, um, actually, just so you know, one of my friends who loved me and prayed for me was Norm. So, we've known each other a long time. (laughs) Um, But, uh, so, what happened was this one day, my friends, it might have been Norm, or it might have been another friend, I don't know. There was a YWAM biking team coming up through the Yukon. I don't know why they biked up that bear-ridden highway, but... um, they came up through the Yukon, and they were sharing the gospel with people. And they came to our church. And my friend said, Nikki, there's a, there's a special event going on at church tonight. It's this YWAM team. Why don't you come? For years, I'd been like, ah, maybe ne- next time. Ah, maybe next time. I just kept saying that, putting them off. And then that night, in an instant, I said, sure. I'm like, who said that? <laughs> Was that me who just said that? And, but I did. I, I went that night, and, um, it, and Jesus called me. It was like he opened up the book of my life, and he read all the actions and deeds I'd been doing, and literally, it did happen. Somebody was giving his testimony, and I'm like, you're not sharing your testimony. That's mine. Um, and I just, in an instant, 
Christ came to me and he said, I'm not letting you go. I've covenanted with you, and I'm not going to let you go away. And so that night, I had that experience where I said, you are mine. I am yours. I covenant with you for the rest of my life. And it has been the rest of my life. So I learned the value of covenant and that living as um, the bride of Christ, it's not a light thing. And uh, I wonder today, have you covenanted with the Lord? Have you covenanted with Jesus to be your Savior? Have you received the Holy Spirit? He's been offered to you. He was given to you as a gift. Are you letting him teach you? Are you allowing his fruit and his character to be evident in you? I want to give us the opportunity at the end. If anybody has not ever done that, let's pray together at the end. Well, And you also might say today, I know Jesus is Savior. I know that, but I'm struggling to live out my commitment. If I were honest, I make wrong choices, and I make them more than I should. Well, my prayer is that God reveals to us today, as a church family, that we are the bride of Christ and the extent of his love. Like, could you not feel in our worship just the love of God being poured out on you? Well, I did. And that's who he is for us. He loves us. And he's going to empower us to live these committed lives for him. So we also see the son's pleasure in the church through another aspect of um, the marriage covenant. It's the bridal chamber being prepared. So after the covenant was established, the son would return to his father's house and he would prepare the bridal chamber. And it would be built as an extra room or an extra floor right in the father's house. And it would usually take a year, could take up to two years to ready it. And he wouldn't return for the bride until the father said it was time and until the father had prepared the wedding feast. So it was the groom's job to have a home ready for his bride, and he had to ensure that her future would be cared for. Interestingly, from the establishment of this covenant, this initial one, the bride was considered consecrated and set apart for her her husband, for her, her groom. And she would be getting herself ready. The people would know she was married by what she wore. Do people know who we are? Do people know that we belong to Jesus? What have you clothed? What have we clothed ourselves in? Do people see us as, as, as lovers of God? Are we any different than the world? Well, the bride was shown to be belonging to her groom. I want to be shown as belonging to my groom, my Jesus. And um, <clears throat> so she would spend her time getting ready for the groom. Let's think of Christ and parallel his preparing a place for us in heaven. In John 14, verse 1 to 3, it says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again, and I'm going to take you to myself, that where I am, you may be with me also. Jesus, all throughout, is using wedding vocabulary, but right here, this is wedding vocabulary. 
He's leaving to ready the place in the Father's house. He's telling us, have hope. We sung about hope this morning. I was weeping. He says, have hope, have hope. I'm returning. I'm coming for you. I'm coming back. I'm going to bring you to our heavenly home. And you actually can say our heavenly home because we have a place. You have a place in heaven prepared for you. Amen. Hey. So here's Jesus telling us, you are consecrated. You are set apart. You're exclusively for me. And if any of us have contemplated that calling and said yes to his offering of covenant, we're, we're now called. Live solely for Jesus. Okay? I'm not going to lie. There's going to be other suitors. There's going to be other things trying to seduce us away. I am fully aware of that in my own life, and I'm aware of that in your lives. We have, we have things that try to seduce us away from our groom. And yet he says, no, I've given you power. I've given you my gift to do this for me. And that's, I'm excited about that. Um, can you tell I'm excited? Okay. Um, and then in 1 Corinthians 6.20, it explains the response we have to him. It says, for you were bought with a price, so, so glorify God in your body. He's given us everything we need, and now we can glorify him in the way we act and how we present ourselves to him and to the world around us. In today's society, I'll be honest, most Christians have forgotten why we even go to church. So we we say we're Christian. That's enough. Did you know that I've been told, okay, I didn't qualify this, okay, but I've been told that currently 16% of people who call themselves Christian that's from all not mainstream, you know, everything, all the different types of Christian. Um, only 16% attend church regularly. Do you think most Christians understand who we are as the bride of Christ? I don't think so. There's just such a misconnect with the heart of Jesus and how much he loves us. And so I am... Today, just sharing my excitement with who, what, how much Jesus loves us and has called us into a covenant with him. So I want to ask you again, do you actually understand, do I understand the intimate nature of Christ's love for us? This is what he's calling us to understand and to walk into. Do we understand that we have a place in heaven prepared for us? I'm excited about that. And when we consider our day-to-day life, do we actually live as set apart for our Savior? It's a big question. Okay, next, as part of the marriage covenant, we see the son's pleasure in the church through the bride being cleansed. So this would always happen before the wedding ceremony, and it was called the mikvah. It was the cleansing bath. Dennis, are you excited? I'm doing Jewish stuff. Where are you? There you go. I said I think you might like it. Hopefully I'm not doing too bad at it. Anyway, <laughs> um, the cleansing bath, the mikvah, this was the purification before the union. And, and if we parallel this to Christ, he has done this for us. He's prepared the cleansing for us. Ephesians 5, verses 25 to 27 
All of Ephesians 5 is um, talking about uh, the, the relationship of the husband and the wife. But it, Paul says he's actually talking about the mystery that is Christ and his bride. So this is what Christ does for us. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is what Christ did. He loved himself. He gave himself up. He sanctified her. He cleansed her. He washed her in the mikvah, in his mikvah. Okay? It doesn't say that in the text. Um, that he might present the church to him in splendor. He's already done this. So if we're here today um, who don't feel clean, if there's people in our, in our congregation today who say, I don't feel clean. I don't feel like Christ has cleansed me. I don't know how to do this. If we're here and we're feeling like we might not even be worthy to be loved by God or called his bride... I want to tell you today that the word of God says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay? We are not condemned. We are children of God. We are the bride of Christ. And there's no condemnation. So, if you are a believer, you don't stand condemned. If you haven't yet become a part of Christ's family... Today's a perfect time to do it. He has, in effect, come to your father's house to establish covenant with you. He's telling you today, I offer this to you. If you haven't done so before, respond as Peter told the people of Jerusalem to do on the day of Pentecost. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the Holy Spirit for the promises for you, for your children, and for all who are far off. He has promised us the power to do this, and he's promised that it's for us, those who are far off. So also, through um, the wedding covenant, the marriage covenant, we, this, we see the son's pleasure in the church through the bride being fetched. Okay? At a time predetermined by the groom's father, the groom returned to take the bride to the father's house. So she expected the groom, but she didn't know when he was going to return. She had an idea, but she didn't know. And it it would have been quite a spectacle, because the groom's attendants would go before with a shout, and they would say, Behold, the bridegroom comes! And it would, would have been really loud, and it would have been quite a procession. And everybody on the bridal route, they would have known, It's coming. The wedding celebration is coming. It's coming. And everybody would join in, and there would be like this procession of people saying, Behold, the bridegroom comes! Behold, the bridegroom comes! And it, it, would, it would filter out blocks in front of them. And who would know down the way that the groom was coming? The bride. Because she was being warned by the procession of people coming before. I think that's pretty cool. And uh, I think of that with... Um, Jesus promised to return. So just as the Jewish bride, she just didn't know when her groom was going to come. We don't know when Jesus is going to return either. But that is not, it doesn't need to be scary. Um, But in Mark 13, 32 and 33, it says, But concerning the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, 
Only the Father knows, so be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It also says that Jesus is going to come like a shout. The wedding procession is going to come, and we're going to be warned, okay? It says for the, in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. He's giving us everything we know to be ready for this. And then Jesus calls us to be prepared. It's unlike the, like five of the ten virgins in Matthew 25. They were all getting ready and getting prepared for the groom to come. Every one of them fell asleep. But when the groom returned, five of them had forgotten to fill their lamps. They didn't have enough oil in their lamps to, to take the procession back to the father's house. And so five of the ten were unprepared and they didn't actually get to go with the procession at that time. That's sounding scary. I didn't mean for that. But... Um, it really doesn't need to be if we understand who Christ is in us and the covenant we can live in with him. I have a little silly illustration. Like That sounded like big consequences, but look at this guy. This is a guy in the airport here. And this is an actual account of something that happened. Okay, And our consequences would be different than this, but this guy encountered some consequences of not being prepared. Okay, This is what a lady said. While waiting to board my flight, I noticed a group of young people who I assumed were students. I was proven right on the plane when several of them sat in the row behind me. They were talking about the classes they were taking. And then across from them, on the other side, was another row of students. But in this row, the middle seat happened to be empty. I heard the students asking if anyone had seen the guy who was supposed to be sitting there. Well, it turns out that he was currently sitting in the gate area, inside the airport, fast asleep. His fellow travelers had tried to wake him, and he awoke once to promise that he wouldn't miss the flight, only to go back to sleep. He slept through the friends calling his cell phone, which was turned off in his pocket, and he slept through the final morning announcements, and he even slept through his name being repeatedly called on, by the gate agent. Wow. Needless to say, the guy missed his flight. <laughs> it's not like that for us. But the guy fell asleep, he was unprepared, and he missed what was being, where he needed to go. And I feel like for us, we don't want to be sleeping like those brides. We want to be awake and alert. So part of that is the Jewish bride would spend her hours preparing for the groom's return. So Christ exhorts us as his people to be preparing for his return. Paul says that God's going to do it for us, though. He's going to ready for us as we live committed to him. So 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. So this is a, this is a um, scripture about Christ's return, and it says God will sanctify you, and he will keep your spirit and soul blameless. So our response, even with knowing that God is working in us, we have his power at work in us, is that we still need to be alert. We still need to be readying ourselves. And we still need to understand that there are temptations of the world and there are enticements. So if we are alert, we take care not to be enticed. So if I were to make a confession today, I actually really struggled preparing this sermon 
because I thought, Lord, show me how to do this, how, how to be ready. It was my first response. And I remember I would walk around stores or I would walk around my house and be like, God, show me how to be your bride. I've kind of marinated on this for a while. And, um, and then I, I realized, boom, it was revelation. I've already shown you and I've already prepared you and I've already given you my spirit. But it is a journey for me. In fact, I don't know if any one of you can, can um, say what I say, but as a child, I heard sermons about us being the bride of Christ and Christ returning. And I remember this feeling of terror, like, ah, he's returning, I'm not going to be ready. And it was just like this awful feeling in me. And um, I'll tell you something. That's why this message excited me, because... I realized part of the message of being the bride of Christ isn't, be ready, he's returning, you have to ready yourself. It is, I'm making you ready, I'm returning, I've done this for you. And that excites me, because now I have a different perspective on who I am as the bride of Christ. And so I see he's providing everything for me. There's a couple more I'm going to quickly go through. There's the wedding ceremony and the consummation. This happened in the... the, um, privacy of the bridal chamber in the groom's, uh, the father's house. It would happen over seven days, and this is where the purity of the bride was actually um, proven. And uh, Jesus is telling us, I'm coming back for you. We're having a ceremony. I know you're going to be pure. I know you're going to be ready for me. And then the last part is the marriage feast, and that's celebrated Um, with many. It's not private. And I already read about it in Revelation 19, verses 7 and 8. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Notice that that marriage is in heaven, and the bride is ready, and she was given clothing for the occasion. But she's been helped by God to prepare herself. In fact, I found a good quote by a guy named Tony Garland, and it says this. How she has prepared herself is answered in an understanding of the relationship between faith and works. Scripture teaches that true biblical works are the result of faith. And it says that faith is a gift from God. So, and there's scriptures if you want them. Thus, the bride has made herself ready by the power of God working in her. That's the amazing thing about this. We're ready to, through him. He loves us. He's getting us ready. So this is us today. We're readied for Christ by the power of God working in us, and we respond with lives consecrated to him. I'm going to ask you, do you feel ready today? Do you feel ready to be his bride? Are you ready for his return? Do you know him as your Savior? If not, we'll give you opportunity today to pray that prayer. And have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? Today's a good day. So he's going to give us the power to live out our lives with eternal perspective. So let's just remind it of our Savior's great love for us. First, he covenants with us. Then he prepares a place for us. Then he's cleansing us. Then he's coming back for us. And, and he is, there's going to be a celebration in heaven for when we return with him. And this is his pleasure to do for us. 
So at the beginning of the message, I um, explained about the bride and the groom sharing wine together at the time of covenant. Well, Jesus did this. He did this with his, his disciples. He shared communion with them at the Last Supper. He drank wine with his disciples as a symbol of the new covenant he was establishing. And he did it to remind them that he was returning. And, and we do that as a church. We do com- a communion to remind us of the covenant he has um, called us into and that he's returning. And to remind us that he's... Okay, so let's do that today. Sorry, I was just spoken to say my words two or three times. Look down. So let's do that today at the end of our service. Let's share the cup of Jesus' covenant to remind ourselves who he is, his great love for us, the sacrifice he paid for us. Let's remember he's returning. And let's remember that he has given us the hope of his return.